I said I was going to do this, and I guess I'll just get into it. Um, I don't even know what I'm going to call this necessarily, but it's the one where I talk about Bible stories. And uh, i got to pull on my notepad here. I probably don't need the notepad very much for um, the beginning, because everyone kind of knows the first little bit of the Bible anyways. Um, what did I actually get to this week? I believe I got to Genesis 13, Genesis 16. So I read Genesis 1 through 15, or rather I had the nice little narrator guy in the uh, Uversion Bible app read it to me, which was quite nice. Um, if you're trying to get into reading your Bible and uh, it's just difficult for you to kind of get into it, I would recommend, it's kind of like audiobooks, it's easier. Um, Maybe eventually you'll actually get into reading it, but it doesn't hurt to start somewhere. And that's where I'm at right now. So anyways, uh, beginning of the Bible. You know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then there's seven days of him, well, six days of him creating stuff. And the last day where uh, he rests. And I don't know how important the order is. Um... I guess I can go through kind of the order of stuff. So God starts out with just creating the heavens and the earth. Uh, and then he creates light. And then he made uh, nighttime, I guess, to divide the light from the darkness. And that was all on the first day. So first day, heavens, earth, light, darkness, day, night. Which are also just light and darkness at that point. It seems like... If you want to get really technical, and I don't actually know, like I'm not a, a biblical scholar or anything, but it's like a very bare bones system at this point, right? Like day and night is kind of what you need to even create the first day if you really want to get technical about it. But besides that, there's not really a lot going on. It's, I guess, ground, sky, and then maybe the sun and moon are flying. No, not even, no, the sun and the moon aren't around. So it's literally just light for a time and then dark for another time um who knows if the world is you know what shape it's taken at that point um and then on the second day he creates waters um or no uh in the midst of yeah yeah he creates waters no he creates the sky <laughs> i don't even know i'm trying to read this with the plus things on and it's not easy. Let me just switch over to ESV. Uh, okay. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse that separated the waters that were under the expanse of the waters. And so it, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. I don't even know what's happening there necessarily, whether he's creating oceans. I would assume so because he created the earth on the first day. So the second day he's got to be creating just water like he's created he's now separated so there's like continents and stuff on the earth god called the dry land earth and the waters and god said let the earth sprout vegetation yielding seed uh brought forth vegetation and so he's created now plants and stuff and this is on the third day so still no real i mean there's not sentient life at this point i guess right it's just plants and vegetation so you know, all the, the vegetables and stuff that you eat are technically older than you are, if you want to get technical, <laughs> technically technical about it. 
blah, light. Let there be lights in the expanse. So on the fourth day, he's creating the sun and the moon then and the star. Oh no, he's just creating the stars, which is actually interesting because if you look at this from a scientific perspective, to some extent, the stars, like the sun is a star. Um, so it's possible that maybe on this day, uh, God set them forth to rule over the day and then, oh no, so he created stars and then he also created two gray lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser to rule over the night and the stars. So he creates kind of in the same day, the sun, moon, and stars, and that's all on the fourth day. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I'm going so in depth on this because... Well, I don't know, maybe some people think it's important. I don't know that many people know the order of these things at all. Uh, so I guess it's important to some extent for you to know it if you're wanting to be biblically literate. Anyway, so the fifth day, uh, he makes sea creatures and birds, but not land animals. Yeah, which is also kind of weird because, like, birds do to some extent live on land they just also are able to fly around so i mean where's the distinction there let's say like a chicken is a chicken created on the fifth day or is it created on the sixth day that's a question that i want to ask the biblical scholars that's an interesting one and then anyways on the sixth day uh let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds and so 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 he creates now the rest of the creatures that live on land and in the same day, he also says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the creeping things that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, uh, male and female. Um, I was under the impression that it said like he created him from dust and then maybe that's in the next chapter or something. Maybe this is just like a summary. But anyways, the, in, so then he creates the land creatures and man on the same day which is i don't know just interesting that's on the sixth day and then on the seventh day he rests and actually that's not even in genesis one that's genesis two starts off with the seventh day of rest and then just after that it actually does get into the creation of man and woman and all that stuff and he not he i guess whoever the the author of this is goes more in depth about how it was that they were created and they lived among and with God. And I'm not going to kind of read exact with this stuff anymore, but, uh, you know, story of Adam and Eve, he created Adam, uh, Adam lived and he like named the stuff and all that. And then eventually he was, uh, like he wanted like a partner. And so God took one of his, he put him to sleep, took one of his, uh, ribs and made Eve the fall. Yes. So this is kind of the first, like, thing that like the first uh, uh what would it be called in like actual storytelling terms um the thing that sets a lot of other things in motion the original sin you could call it i guess as well but uh this is the story of adam and eve trusting a snake and then eating the fruit off the tree uh and actually i think in Genesis 2, there was an entire part that I didn't really read over, but it kind of describes the garden in, like, a lot of detail, and it says kind of, like, a lot of specifically about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think it was in Genesis 2 anyways, uh, where it's, like, it stretches over, like, all the other trees. So it's, like, a, like really big, and, 
you know, that's just, it's interesting. I, I didn't really ever consider that or really think about that until uh, reading it again this time. But this tree, like, if you're trying to avoid it, you can't just stop thinking about it because it's kind of just there all the time. It gets in your face. Uh, but anyway, so Eve and Adam are just hanging out and then this serpent, which is Satan, I, yeah, it is. He comes to Eve and he tries to trick her and he says, um, you know, this is, uh, to some extent I would, maybe I'll talk about this afterwards. So the serpent comes to Eve and says like, you know, you should try out the, the fruit from this tree. It's really good. And then Eve's like, no, we're not supposed to. And the serpent is like, who told you you can't? And she's like, oh, well, God told us. And then he says, well, it's because God doesn't want you to be like him. And that's kind of the thing that convinces, I guess, Eve. And I'm not positive. It doesn't really say whether or not, like, Adam was, you know, sitting right there or if he's somewhere else, whether or not he knows. I mean, I would have to assume that he is aware that he's eating the fruit from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil just because... Well, that's another thing it doesn't really say how long it was that they hang out here before all this happens and that's also another thing that you could think about is how many of each animal is there at this point is there still only two is there like a lot of them like if you know that there's only two of each animal then this random snake just coming in you don't know him and also the snake has legs at this point because they haven't they haven't been mutilated off of it but anyways uh snake convinces them they eat the fruit they realize that what they've done is wrong and they try and hide from god and god finds them and says like hey why are you hiding from me like what point is there in that you've never hid from me before and then they're like well we oh no sorry they uh they cover up their nakedness and then they're like hiding so both they make it really obvious that they're aware of good and evil and then they also hide from god and then God punishes both of them. He says that, uh, you know, man will be cursed to forever kind of toil with the crops. And, you know, essentially just you're going to have to work. And that's going to be your thing for all time. And then for women, he says that they're going to uh, have pain in their childbirth, which is also really sucky. <laughs> you know, each one gets kind of their own punishment. And then... Uh, he goes to the serpent and says, you're going to have to crawl along the uh, the ground. I think actually there's another thing in here where he says, uh, I can't find it. But anyways, I think he says something along the lines of like, uh, the serpent and the woman will be at odds for like all time or something, which is just interesting. There's like a lot of, you know, like potential uh, cultural effects of that or however you want to take it. It's just, it's interesting. And now like, I guess I could talk a little bit about what you can learn from this, this one story, and this is, you know, not necessarily my point, my place to say, but it is interesting that this is kind of the, the, or the, the thing that sets everything in motion, and when you really sit down and consider it, it's very similar to the, like, emails that you get from a Nigerian prince, where it's like, hey, if you just do this one thing, then I will give you all these things, or you'll get all this, right? Like, Essentially, I guess what the point of this story, if there was a moral to it, or, you know, if, if you were to draw only one moral from it, would be um, don't just trust blindly, don't believe something that's too good to be true kind of thing, which is 
not necessarily at odds with the rest of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, where stuff is like fairly literal and the rules that are set in place are fairly like you should do these things for a specific reason and that reason is to make your life easier so that's uh like adam and eve are still alive for quite a while after this uh but they really aren't featured all that much past now like now the story moves on to cain and abel and the story of cain and abel is also interesting because it's kind of a story that to some extent is repeated throughout the bible like you see cain and abel and you see uh jacob and esau you see joshua and his brothers um to some extent you could say like jesus and his siblings as well where there's just like this jealousy among siblings that causes them to do bad things to each other right uh but the first and you know the first actual really bad and actually here's another thing for maybe biblical scholars that um I just don't know. Like, I don't think that there's been really any rules put in place up until now, aside from don't eat from that tree. Like, maybe this is something that God sat down with Adam and even told them, and it just didn't get passed down through the generations, or maybe it's just supposed to be known, and so they didn't, you know, explicitly state in the Bible, but it kind of just seems like there wasn't really rules, aside from just, like, obviously don't do bad things, and you should kind of know because you've got a conscience what you're good, what is good and what's bad, or maybe because they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they are expected to know what is good and evil, and they shouldn't do evil. I don't know, it's just, that's interesting to me. But there's no explicit rules, so with Cain and Abel, uh, Cain is the one that brings the fruit, and... God's not as happy with that as Abel's offering, which is livestock. And then Cain gets jealous, and he kills his brother. And then God's not happy about that, obviously. And he puts a, I believe he puts a curse on him. Uh, what is it? Theology of Driven. My punishment is great. Oh, it's just before this. You are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hands. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth and then he also says one more thing which is uh no one can kill you uh or they will take on sevenfold the curse that he's laid upon him so cain really messed up essentially uh and once again this is like a it's a very basic story it's got a very basic premise you know it's just jealousy and it's basically just like i mean to some extent you could say Cain could have just done things very simply like he could have just also tended to the animals and then also brought an animal sacrifice and then he wouldn't have had to be jealous and God would have looked upon him evenly with his brother or you could say you know just don't be jealous and it's fine and don't kill people <laughs> um yeah I don't know like it's really it's not that difficult to grasp but I guess like what could have been done differently is potentially up in the air but anyways uh stories continue on there's a whole bunch of uh oh yeah seth so seth is the third brother of cain and abel uh abel dies cain and cain starts like a nation and that nation is like at odds with israel eventually uh later on in the bible but yeah there's uh and then chapter what is this chapter five goes on to describe how 
Adam's descendants get all the way to Noah. So there's kind of just this gap here where it's more or less just like the this person fathered whoever else uh, and he lived this many years and it's like long. Like back at this point in the Bible, people are living like this one says 785 years, 962 years. Like people are living almost a thousand years, which is insane. Anyways, it gets all the way down to Noah and Noah lives 500 years. Uh, and God eventually says, yeah, right at the beginning of chapter six, he says, uh, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Uh, and then there's also something about Nephilim. I think there was actually something that maybe I just skipped over at the end of, uh, like the garden of Eden part where God stations Nephilim at the entrance to the garden of Eden to like guard it. And he says, you'll never find it again, which is just another interesting thing. So if that is still the place that exists in real life, then um, there's probably some Nephilim guarding it still to this day, because why wouldn't they be, right? Anyway, so then there's this whole story with Noah, uh, where essentially God looks upon the earth and he's like, you know, there's nothing good left on the earth. Everyone, is, like somehow between Cain and Abel, where things weren't necessarily great, but at least there was only like five people total on earth. And then now where there's, you know, probably in the number of thousands or however many, I don't know how many generations this is, it's probably like 10 generations just based on the fact that I scrolled through here and it looked like it was. Uh, so you multiply even just, you know, times three or four per generation, you get like quite a few by that point. Uh, and he sees basically the entire world and says the only person that's good that's left is Noah and I guess his family. And so he speaks to Noah and he says like, hey, everyone is not doing well i'm going to wipe out the earth build a build an ark and he gives them like the very specific dimensions which is actually really i wonder if you could go through the bible and like create a blueprint exactly for the ark uh, uh yeah i don't like it not practical but it would be interesting to see like but people describe it i think usually as like being three or four football fields long like huge very very big boat uh which is you know i guess it's good that uh noah was living for 500 years because he probably had to spend a significant amount of that just building this boat uh and he says he's going to get two of each kind of bird or two of each kind of animal and then five of the ones that they would be eating so like livestock probably because they have to be able to multiply enough that they can eat them while they're on this boat for what is it, 40 years? Something like a really long time? Anyway, so Noah does this. He creates the boat. Uh, a whole bunch of animals all come onto it. And then the rain starts. And uh, yeah, they all get onto the ark and they stay there. Uh, the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. And it floods the entire earth like it, it's crazy i don't know how like if you were to look at this from a scientific perspective it has to be something crazy like you know just rain can only do so much um i you could say potentially that if it was pangea at this point like if it was all one continent i don't even know i don't know the logistics of it that would also be interesting to kind of think about because i don't think that many things in the bible really stray too much from like things that could be reality 
but I would be very interested to see some kind of realistic image of how the earth could flood. Like maybe the polar ice caps weren't there or they weren't frozen or maybe when the flood ends, that's when those things got frozen. Like who knows? I'm just throwing out ideas, but it, it is, you know, that's just, it's interesting. Uh, the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Okay, there you go. Uh, and then there's this whole part where he sends out a raven and then he sends out a dove and another dove i think and then eventually they bring back a leaf and that means that there's some land out there and so eventually they land on a mountain i think and then they start life again so humanity has event has essentially started out twice right there was adam and eve and then it kind of expanded until a point and then all of a sudden it gets you know brought right back down to just one family again and then it starts from there again and god says at this point he makes a covenant with noah that he's not going to do that again that he's not going to destroy the you know everyone on earth with a flood or whatever and that's the that's the whole thing with the rainbow um yeah and in terms of like i don't even know what could be said about this story aside from like maybe be a light in the darkness you know even if the entire world seems like it's so screwed up and like you know god still looks favorably upon the people that are doing good even if you're the only one left he will still find you and he'll still know that you are doing what you can i guess that's something i don't know if that's necessarily what should be taken out of that story but it's maybe what i would get out of it and then in terms of what happens after this like there's more of descendants and stuff it shows like the generations but before it finishes or before it kind of shows like the next story i think it also gets into the story where noah was drunk or something and then his sons accidentally walked in on him and then one of them was cursed i think by him where is it he drank the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in his tent and ham the father of canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside shem and jepheth uh, took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their fathers. Their faces were turned backward. They did not see their father's nakedness. When Je Noah awoke from his wine and knew his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So he really kind of just, oh, and then uh, same for Jepheth in uh, Shem. So essentially he just, like, and it's interesting that like these things that fathers of families i guess said back in these days like you can see the same thing with abraham and isaac and jacob and all those like the there was the birthright but then there was also this um like essentially you can bestow blessings and curses upon people and it seems like those are like fairly literal things or at least people took them very like this is just an actual thing in real life so with jacob um when he takes the blessing of his father like that sticks uh which we're gonna get to later that's not uh that definitely won't be today just because we're not there yet <laughs> uh and i didn't get to that part of the bible yet so then there's the descendants of noah anyways and then there is the tower of babel and the tower of babel is this part actually this was one thing that stuck out to me a little bit is like essentially these people are coming together and they're trying to make a tower to heaven which is obviously like a fool's errand and it's ridiculous 
um, it logically it doesn't make sense because heaven isn't like you know the representation of heaven is in the sky but it's not like really there you know you can go into space and you don't get to heaven right um, but so these people are trying to do this and then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built and he said behold they are one people they have been they all have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing they propose to do now will be impossible for them uh, come let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left from left off the building left off building the city therefore its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth I mean first of all like that's wild that like <laughs> kind of God acknowledges that these people if they are able to kind of communicate effectively and they're all kind of in one you know of one mind that they like the potential for that is very much limitless like that's an interesting concept in and of itself and i think that when you look at globalization and the idea of like the internet connecting people like we're in a modern day babel to some extent right like it doesn't matter language barriers are almost a moot point um the matter of distance we're all basically in the same place when you take into account what the internet can do for people right so it yeah that's just it's interesting um but then aside from that it's uh i mean i guess you can say that it's just like there's no reason for them to have been making the tower babel and it you know you could even say that it's potentially like the same kind of thing that them eating the fruit in the garden of eden is where it's like kind of ridiculous and you know it, it's like them trying to compare themselves to gods i guess by saying like oh we can build a tower up to where god lives like no that's not how this works um i don't know it's just it is kind of weird that god would separate people like that and i i don't know what the justification aside from what i just said would be anyways then there's shem's descendants and then the call of abram and so at, at some point anyways it goes noah shem and then many many people and then abram and abram is the father of israel you know, which then goes on to be a whole bunch of other Bible stories that eventually goes all the way down to Jesus. Uh, but to begin with, Abram, like, God just kind of chooses him. And he says, uh, leave your country and your kindred and your father's house and the land uh, to the land that I will show you. And so he makes this promise to this guy, Abram. And so he does. He leaves and he takes Sarai, his wife, and brings his nephew lot for some reason <laughs> and uh, all their possessions and uh, they leave they go to the land of canaan and they kind of just keep going and oh yeah <laughs> and then there's this whole story in egypt as well uh i before we even get to that it, it is interesting like what was the significance of abram i guess it's just because maybe even the blessing that noah put on shem that he, like maybe that's why one specific person from his tribe or whatever was chosen but you know it is also kind of like the uh the call to action at the beginning of uh a, any kind of good story you know like harry gets the letter from hogwarts or uh you know that kind of thing where it's like this is the beginning of something great so long as you kind of accept it as long as you go along with it you could be something better than what you would otherwise be uh, which is obviously something great in just literary stories to begin with. 
Anyway, so then eventually they make their way. Man, my dog just won't stop barking. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so there was a fit. Oh yeah, so they go to Egypt. Uh, I'm gonna kind of summarize this story because it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, but basically, Abraham or Abram. I don't know when it changes to Abraham, but I don't think it has happened yet at the chapter that I'm at. But anyways, uh, they go to Egypt and Abram's like. Listen, you're too beautiful to his wife. He says, you're too beautiful and they're going to be jealous and they're going to kill me to get you. So pretend like you're my sister and then they won't kill me. And she just goes along with it because like ridiculous plan, but he's her husband. So she respects him, I guess. Uh, and so they do that. And then eventually the Pharaoh gets like ticked off. He's like, after... Some stuff happens. The Pharaoh says, uh, what, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So then now I've taken her for my own wife. Now then here's your wife, take her and go. Uh, essentially he's not happy because maybe he even believes in the things of like, you know, the Christian belief where obviously you don't take someone else's wife as your own wife. Obviously you don't do that. And so he has enough sense to say like, I, you know, just go, please, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I don't want to be cursed or anything else that could happen. So they leave Egypt, and then Abram goes one way, and at one point, Abram and Lot separate, and, you know, Abram kind of goes to... I know that there's a story, and I don't think that it happens yet, because I don't think that I heard it. Yeah, uh, Lot goes into Sodom. He lives in Sodom for a while, uh, and Abram doesn't. And... The, oh yeah, and then this is the point. While like they they're separated, uh, the Lord like kind of gets Abram to look upon kind of the entire land that they've come into and says like, "This is going to be yours, and you're gonna have so many offspring that uh, they're gonna be like the dust of the earth. They're gonna be like numerous, too numerous to even count." And then. Abram rescues Lot. Now, this is actually interesting because this isn't even the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that people traditionally know. This is, Lot is living in Sodom, and what is it? There's this other nation that, like, attacks and takes prisoners from Sodom in a few other places. And then Lot, is, Lot and his family are one of those prisoners, or some of those prisoners, I guess. And then Abram takes his what is it <laughs> abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive he led forth his trained men born in his house 318 of them and went in pursuit as far as dan another interesting thing just there uh side note is i thought that the nation of dan was named after one of the sons of israel but i guess maybe it's not uh it's neither here nor there anyways because this is anyways this is before israel and the sons of israel and all that but anyways they uh went in they divided his forces against them by night he and his servants defeated them and pursued them to hobah then he brought back all the possessions he also brought back his kinsman lot and his possessions and that's awesome so they you know readily take out this uh these invaders that have taken captives and all that they get back all the stuff as well and then uh abram is blessed by melchizedek which is the king i think of sodom and he basically says, like, where is it? Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. And then Abram says, uh, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. 
I take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshol, and Mamer take their share. Essentially, I mean, I, I think that that's kind of powerful just because he's kind of saying like, you know, the, the king's kind of trying to give him a handout or not even a handout. He's trying to say like, you've done something good for me and I want to reward you for it. And he, Abram comes back to him and says like, I don't want you to be able to say that you had anything to do with my success or my failures. Um, so you can take your stuff back and I'll be blessed by the Lord uh, irrelevant of whatever you're trying to give me, which is like such a, I don't know. I think it's very powerful. Uh, anyways, and then chapter 15 of Genesis, finally kind of at the end of what I've read this week anyways, is uh, God's covenant with Abram. And this is, I mean, there's actually kind of like a, a weird thing that happens here. Well, first of all, he, uh, Abram is already like fairly old and he says like, how am I going to have all these descendants? I don't even have a son yet. Uh, and God just kind of says, you know, you're going to. So chill out. And then God gets him to bring some like really specific animals and he brings all these animals and then he cuts most of them in half, like down the middle. And then there's this part when the covenant is like created where uh, there's like a light that goes through the middle of the dead animals, I think. And it's basically just God giving him the land and the offspring and all that. Like this is his promise to Abram. And that is as far as I've gotten so far. I mean, one interest, just the last little bit there. And I don't even know, like, I guess it's just interesting because he gets Abram to do this sacrifice that is very similar to the sacrifice that he will demand later of his firstborn son that he eventually says, like, no, don't actually do it. It's, uh, you know, I'm just testing you, I guess, which is neither here nor there. It's just kind of a, another parallel there. Um, yeah, so that's more or less it for this. In terms of general life lessons for this week, because I want to make this podcast as similar to Veggie Tales as I can, <laughs> I was thinking this week about a couple things, and one of them is just that the way that people are so plugged in these days, like especially with, uh, you know, COVID-19 happening and being so easily able to just like always have headphones in always able to be on your phone or on your computer or anything else you really need to set aside some time and be able to not have stuff being fed into your brain for me there was a game that i would play uh called tetris tetris effect that was like really good for that because you know i'm kind of motor skills or whatever but i'm really not thinking too much about it i kind of get into like a, a state of like you know, just, I mean, actually the, the Tetris effect is like a thing where you're basically just like, you can have your brain kind of subconsciously doing the actual functions that it needs to, to play the game. And it like lets me kind of get into like a state of more just focus or not even focus, like, like a lack of focus where, you know, I don't need to have a podcast on. I don't need to have a, a TV show or a YouTube video or whatever on. And the point of all that is to say like, you need some time like that. It doesn't need to be Tetris Effect. It doesn't need to be anything else. But you need some time where you don't have stuff coming into your brain where someone's talking at you or you're reading something or you're watching something or whatever else where you can kind of just think. And like when you let your brain kind of do that, like it's crazy. This is probably something that, you know, you were if you were to tell someone like 
30 years ago, they'd be like, yeah, obviously, like, I do that all the time. But I don't think that people really consider the fact that they need that these days. And so, you know, it's more of a legitimate thing that you need to consider in your day. Like, take 20 minutes, uh, put on, like, a, you know, song without lyrics, just something, like, relaxing that can get you into just a state of being able to kind of think a little bit and then just kind of let your brain wander and see what you come to because I think that that has a good effect. And then after that, maybe, you know, take some time to pray, take some time to talk with God um, because you'll you'll probably find when you're thinking that you'll think of things that you want to either discuss with God or, you know, things that you want to bring forward to God and say like, hey, I... I need help with this. I did. I haven't even considered it because I haven't been thinking in the past three years. But um, I really need help overcoming this one thing. And so that is uh, <laughs> that's maybe my life lesson for this week. If uh, if there was anything to bring forward, and yeah, I don't really know how to end this off. Uh, I get, oh, you know what? Actually, I should say is um, not not really the most uh, graceful way to end a podcast, but. Uh, I'm going to put this one up on the untaxed and uncollected and then also on its own thing. I'm going to create a new, you know, anchor feed for it. And the reason I'm doing that is just so that if anyone is wanting to get into it, um, I'll probably do that one or two more times, but I'm not going to continue doing it always on untaxed and uncollected. The only reason I would do it one or two more times is because I'd like to tell you what the podcast is called right now, but I actually don't know what it's going to be called. And in addition to that, it's probably not going to be on Apple Podcasts or anything else for a little bit. So it'll be, you know, not really as accessible as it is on the untaxed feed for now. Uh, and the other thing would be, uh, if you want to follow along with me, you know, I just kind of, and actually not even if you want to, if you're listening to this, don't take this as like your get out of jail free, like, oh man, he's reading the Bible. He's telling me all the stories I don't need to read either what I'm reading or read something else, but get into your Bible because it is so important. And if you read the exact same stuff as me, you might find similar things or you might find something completely different. But if you actually read it for yourself, at least you'll know that what I'm telling you is, you know, you'll know if it's true or false because you'll actually come to your own conclusions about it. You can think for yourself. You can read things for yourself. And it's important for you to do that because otherwise, you know, I could be much as I I don't, believe myself to be a dishonest person i could be coming to the wrong conclusions at the very least about things or i could be summarizing things in a way that's not right and so you need to do this for yourself as well yeah <laughs> that's more or less it anyways uh and the point of all that was to say that uh, if you do want to follow along i read from genesis 1 to 15 this week and you know if you have a hard time reading then download you version listen to the audio version there's a guy that reads it there's like little musical cues in with it guy's got a good voice uh and it's relatively easy i used to really like listening to it when i was driving back and forth to work or you know usually i'd listen to it on the way to work actually no i think usually i would pray on the way to work listen to it on the way back but um you know you do whatever you want the reason that i would do that is just because it's kind of you know like while you're driving you really don't have to focus too much on much of anything aside from just driving and so either you put on a podcast or you listen to music or you listen to your bible which is a somewhat similar to a podcast anyways uh yeah and that's basically it i don't know why i spent like four extra minutes explaining stuff at the end but uh 
Thanks for listening, and uh, watch out for more of this later. And we'll do another actual Untaxed and Uncollected within the next day or so. Okay, bye everyone.